third of prayer, the Lord's Prayer. We have now heard what we must do and believe, in which things the best and happiest life consists. Now follows the third part, how we ought to pray. For since we are so situated that no man can perfectly keep the Ten Commandments, even though he have begun to believe, and since the devil with all his power, together with the world and our own flesh, resists our endeavors, nothing is so necessary that we should continually resort to the ear of God, call upon him and pray to him, that he would give, preserve, and increase in us faith and the fulfillment of the Ten Commandments, and that he would remove everything that is in our way and opposes us therein. But that we might know what and how to pray, our Lord Christ has himself taught us both the mode and the words, as we shall see. But before we explain the Lord's Prayer part by part, it is most necessary first to exhort and incite people to prayer, as Christ and the apostles also have done. And the first matter is to know that it is our duty to pray because of God's commandment. For thus we heard in the second commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, that we are there required to praise that holy name and call upon it in every need or to pray. For to call upon the name of God is nothing else than to pray. Prayer is therefore as strictly and earnestly commanded as all other commandments, to have no other God, not to kill, not to steal, etc., let no one think that it is all the same whether he pray or not, as vulgar people do, who grope in such delusion and ask, Why should I pray? Who knows whether God heeds or will hear my prayer? If I do not pray, someone else will. And thus they fall into the habit of never praying, and frame a pretext as though we taught that there is no duty or need of prayer because we reject false and hypocritical prayers. But this is true indeed, that such prayers as have been offered hitherto when men were babbling and bawling in the churches were no prayers. For such external matters, when they are properly observed, may be a good exercise for young children, scholars, and simple persons, and may be called singing or reading, but not really praying. But praying, as the second commandment teaches, is to call upon God in every need. This he requires of us and has not left it to our choice. But it is our duty and obligation to pray if we would be Christians, as much as it is our duty and obligation to obey our parents and the government. For by calling upon it and praying, the name of God is honored and profitably employed. <clears throat> This you must note above all things, that thereby you may keep silent and repel such thoughts as would keep and deter us from prayer. For just as it would be idle for a son to say to his father, Of what advantage is my obedience? I will go and do what I can, it is all the same. But there stands the commandment, Thou shalt and must do it. So also here it is not left to my will to do it or leave it undone, but prayer shall and must be offered at the risk of God's wrath and displeasure. This is therefore to be understood and noted before everything else, 
in order that thereby we may silence and repel the thoughts which would keep and deter us from praying, as though it were not of much consequence if we do not pray, or as though it were commanded those who are holier and in better favor with God than we, as indeed the human heart is by nature so despondent that it always flees from God and imagines that he does not wish or desire our prayer, because we are sinners and have merited nothing but wrath. Against such thoughts, I say, we should regard this commandment and turn to God, that we may not by such disobedient excite his anger still more. For by this commandment he gives us plainly to understand that he will not cast us from him nor chase us away, although we are sinners, but rather draw us before him, bewail this misery and plight of ours, and pray for grace and help. Therefore we read in the scriptures that he is angry also with those who were smitten for their sin because they did not return to him, and by their prayers assuage his wrath and seek his grace. Now from the fact that it is so solemnly commanded to pray, you are to conclude and think that no one should by any means despise his prayer, but rather set great store by it, and always seek an illustration from the other commandments. A child should by no means despise his obedience to father and mother, but should always think this work is a work of obedience. And what I do, I do with no other intention than that I may walk in the obedience and commandment of God, on which I can settle and stand firm and esteem it a great thing, not on account of my worthiness, but on account of the commandment. So here also, what and for what we pray, we should regard as demanded by God and done in obedience to him, and should reflect thus. On my account it would amount to nothing, but it shall avail for the reason that God has commanded it. Therefore everybody, no matter what he has to say in prayer, should always come before God in obedience to this commandment. We pray, therefore, and exhort everyone most diligently to take this to heart and by no means to despise our prayer. For hitherto it has been taught thus in the devil's name that no one regarded these things, and men supposed it to be sufficient to have done the work, whether God would hear it or not. But that is staking prayer on a risk and murmuring it at a venture, and therefore it is a lost prayer. For we allow such thoughts as these to lead us astray and deter us, I am not holy or worthy enough. If I were as godly and holy as St. Peter or St. Paul, then I would pray. But such thoughts, but put such thoughts far away. For just the same commandment which applied to St. Paul applies also to me. And the second commandment is given as much on my account as on his account, so that he can boast of no better or holier commandment. Therefore you should say, My prayer is as precious, holy, and pleasing to God as that of St. Paul or of the most holy saints. This is the reason. For I will gladly grant that he is holier in his person, but not on account of the commandment, since God does not regard prayer on account of the person, but on account of his word and obedience thereto. For on the commandment on which all the saints rest their prayer, I too rest mine. Moreover, 
I pray for the same thing for which they all pray and ever have prayed. Besides, I have just as great a need of it as those great saints, yea, even a greater one than they. Let this be the first and most important point, that all our prayers must be based and rest upon obedience to God, irrespective of our person, whether we be sinners or saints, worthy or unworthy. And we must know that God will not have it treated as a jest, but be angry and punish all who do not pray as surely as he punishes all other disobedience. Next, that he will not suffer our prayers to be in vain or lost. For if he did not intend to answer your prayer, he would not bid you pray and add such a severe commandment to it. In the second place, we should be the more urged and incited to pray because God has also added a promise and declared that it shall surely be done to us as we pray, as he says, Psalm fifty fifteen, Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver thee. And Christ, in the Gospel of Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it shall be given you, for every one that asketh receiveth. Such promises ought certainly to encourage and kindle our hearts to pray with pleasure and delight, since he testified with his word that our prayer is heartily pleasing to him, moreover, that it shall assuredly be heard and granted, in order that we may not despise it or think lightly of it, and pray at a venture. This you can hold up to him and say, Here I come, dear Father, and pray, not of my own purpose, nor upon my own worthiness, but at thy commandment and promise, which cannot fail or deceive me. Whoever, therefore, does not believe this promise must know again that he excites God to anger as a person who most highly dishonors him and reproaches him with falsehood. Besides this, we should be incited and drawn to prayer because in addition to this commandment and promise, God anticipates us and himself arranges the words and form of prayer for us and places them upon our lips as to how and what we should pray, that we may see how heartily he pities us in our distress and may never doubt that such prayer is pleasing to him and shall certainly be answered, which is a great advantage indeed over all our other prayers that we might compose ourselves. For in them, the conscience would ever be in doubt and say, I have prayed, but who knows how it pleases him, or whether I have hit upon the right proportions and form. Hence, there is no nobler prayer to be found upon earth than the Lord's Prayer, which we daily pray, because it has this excellent testimony, that God loves to hear it, which we ought not to surrender for all the riches of the world. And it has been prescribed also for this reason that we should see and consider the distress which ought to urge and compel us to pray without ceasing. For whoever would pray must have something to present, state, and name which he desires. If not, it cannot be called a prayer. Therefore, we have rightly rejected the prayers of monks and priests who howl and growl day and night like fiends, but none of them think of praying for a hair's breadth of anything. 
And if we would assemble all the churches together with all ecclesiastics, that they would be obliged to confess that they have never from the heart prayed for even a drop of wine. For none of them has ever purposed to pray from obedience to God and faith in his promise. Nor has anyone regarded any distress. But when they had done their best, they thought no further than this, to do a good work whereby they might repay God as being unwilling to take anything from him, but wishing only to give him something. But where there is to be a true prayer, there must be earnestness. Men must feel their distress, and such distress as presses them and compels them to call and cry out. Then prayer will be made spontaneously, as it ought to be, and men will require no teaching how to prepare for it and to attain to the proper devotion. But the distress which ought to concern us most, both as regards ourselves and everyone, you will find abundantly set forth in the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, it is to serve also to remind us of the same, that we contemplate it and lay it to heart, lest we become remiss in prayer. For we all have enough that we lack, but the great want is that we do not feel nor see it. Therefore God also requires that you lament and plead such necessities and wants, not because he does not know them, but that you may kindle your heart to stronger and greater desires and make wide and open your cloak to receive much. Therefore, everyone should accust, or every one of us should accustom himself from his youth daily to pray for all his wants whenever he is sensible of anything affecting his interests or that of other people among whom he may live, as for preachers, the government, neighbors, domestics, and always, as we have said, to hold up to God his commandment and promise, knowing that he will not have them disregarded. This I say because I would like to see these things brought home again to the people, that they might learn to pray truly and not go about coldly and indifferently, whereby they become daily more unfit for prayer, which is just what the devil desires, and for what he works with all his powers. For he is well aware what damage and harm it does him when prayer is in proper practice. For this we must know, that all our shelter and protection rest in prayer alone. For we are far too feeble to cope with the devil and all his power and adherents that set themselves against us, and they, that, and they might easily crush us under their feet. Therefore we must consider and take up those weapons with which Christians must be armed in order to stand against the devil. For what do you think has hitherto accomplished such great things, has checked or quelled the counsels, purposes, murder, and riot of our enemies, whereby the devil thought to crush us together with the gospel, except that the prayer of a few godly men intervene like a wall of iron on our side. They should else have witnessed a far greater tragedy, namely how the devil would have destroyed all Germany in its own blood. But now they may confidently deride it and make a mock of it. However, we shall nevertheless be a match both for themselves and the devil by prayer alone, if we only persevere diligently and not become slack. For whenever a godly Christian prays, Dear Father, let thy will be done, God speaks from on high and says, Yes, dear child, 
it shall be so, in spite of the devil and all the world. Let this be said as an exhortation, that men may learn first of all to esteem prayer as something great and precious, and to make a proper distinction between babbling and praying for something. For we by no means reject prayer, but the bare useless howling and murmuring we reject, as Christ himself also rejects and prohibits long palavers. Now we shall most briefly and clearly treat of the Lord's Prayer. Here there is comprehended in seven successive articles, or petitions, every need which never ceases to relate to us, and each so great that it ought to constrain us to keep praying it all our lives. The First Petition Hallowed Be Thy Name This is indeed somewhat obscure, and not expressed in good German. For in our mother tongue we would say, Heavenly Father, help that by all means thy name may be holy. But what is it to pray that his name may be holy? Is it not holy already? Answer, yes. It is always holy in its nature, but in our use it is not holy. For God's name was given us when we became Christians and were baptized, so that we are called children of God and have the sacraments, by which he so incorporates us in himself that everything which is God's must serve for our use. Here now the great need exists for which we ought to be most concerned, that this name have its proper honor, be esteemed holy and sublime, as the greatest treasure and sanctuary that we have, and that as godly children we pray that in the name that the name of God, which is already holy in heaven, may also be and remain holy with us upon earth and in all the world. But how does it become holy among us? Answer, as plainly as it can be said, when both our doctrine and life are godly and Christian. For since in this prayer we call God our Father, it is our duty always to deport and demean ourselves as godly children, that he may not receive shame but honor and praise from us. Now the name of God is profaned by us either in words or in works, for whatever we do upon the earth must be either words or works, speech or act. In the first place, then, it is profaned when men te preach, teach, and speak in the name of God what is false and misleading, so that his name must serve to adorn and to find a market for falsehood. That is indeed the greatest profanation and dishonor of the, of the divine name. Furthermore, also when men by swearing, cursing, conjuring, etc., grossly abuse the holy name as a cloak for their shame. In the second place, also by an openly wicked life and works, when those who are called Christians and the people of God are adulterers, drunkards, misers, envious, and slanders. Here again must the name of God come to shame and be profaned because of us. For just as it is a shame and disgrace to a natural father to have a bad, perverse child that opposes him in words and deeds, so that on its account he suffers contempt and reproach, so also it brings dishonor upon God, if we who are called by his name and have all manner of goods from him teach, speak, and live in any other manner except as godly and heavenly children, 
so that people say of us that we must not be gods but the devil's children. Thus you see that in this petition we prayed just for that which God demands in the second commandment, namely, that his name not be taken in vain to swear, curse, lie, deceive, etc., but be usefully employed to the praise and honor of God. For whoever employs the name of God for any sort of wrong profanes and desecrates this holy name, as aforetime a church was considered desecrated when a murder or any other crime had been committed in it, or when a pyx or relic was desecrated as being holy in themselves, yet become unholy in use. Thus, this point is easy and clear, if only the language is understood, that to hallow is the same as in our idiom, to praise, magnify, and honor both in word and deed. Here now, learn how great need there is of such prayer. For because we see how full the world is of sects and false teachers, who all wear the holy name as a cover and a sham for their doctrines of devils, we ought by all means to pray without ceasing, and to cry and call upon God against all such as preach and believe falsely, and whatever opposes and persecutes our gospel and pure doctrine, and would suppress it, as bishops, tyrants, enthusiasts, etc., Likewise also for ourselves, who have the word of God, but are not thankful for it, nor live as we ought according to the same. If now you pray for this with your heart, you can be sure that it pleases God, for he will not hear anything more dear to him than that his honor and praise is exalted above everything else, and his word is taught in its purity and is esteemed precious and dear. The second petition, Thy kingdom come. As we prayed in the first petition concerning the honor and name of God, that he would prevent the world from adorning its lies and wickedness with it, but cause it to be esteemed sublime and holy in both doctrine and life, so that he may be praised and magnified in us. So here we pray that his kingdom also may come. But just as the name of God is in itself holy, and we pray nevertheless that it be holy among us, so also his kingdom comes of itself without our prayer. Yet we pray nevertheless that it may come to us, that is, prevail among us and with us, so that we may be a part of those among whom his name is hallowed and his kingdom prospers. But what is the kingdom of God? Answer, nothing else than what we learned in the creed, that God sent his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, into the world to redeem and deliver us from the power of the devil and to bring us to himself and to govern us as a king of righteousness, life, and salvation against sin, death, and an evil conscience, for which end he has also bestowed the Holy Ghost, who is to bring these things home to us by his holy word and to illumine and strengthen us in the faith by his power. Therefore, we pray here in the first place that this may become effective with us, and that his name may be so praised through the holy word of God and a Christian life, that both we who have accepted it may abide and daily grow therein, and that it may gain approbation and adherence among other people, and proceed with power throughout the world 
that many may find entrance into the kingdom of grace, be made partakers of redemption, being led thereto by the Holy Ghost, in order that thus we may all together remain forever in the one kingdom now begun. For the coming of God's kingdom to us occurs in two ways. First, here in time, through the word and faith, and secondly, in eternity, forever, through revelation. Now we pray for both these things, that it may come to those who are not yet in it, and by daily increase, to us who have received the same, and hereafter in eternal life. All this is nothing else than saying, Dear Father, we pray, give us first thy word, that the gospel be preached properly throughout the world, and secondly, that it be received in faith, and work and live in us, so that through the word and the power of the Holy Ghost, thy kingdom may prevail among us, and the kingdom of the devil be put down, that he may have no right or power over us, until at last it shall be utterly destroyed, and sin, death, and hell shall be exterminated, that we may live forever in perfect righteousness and blessedness. From this you perceive that we pray here not for a crust of bread or a temporal perishable good, but for an eternal inestimable treasure and everything that God himself possesses, which is far too great for any human heart to think of desiring if he had not himself commanded us to pray for the same. But because he is God, he also claims the honor of giving much more and more abundantly than anyone can comprehend, like an eternal unfailing fountain, which the more it pours forth and overflows, the more it continues to give, and he desires nothing more earnestly of us than that we ask much and great things of him. And again is angry if we do not ask and pray confidently. For just as when the richest and most mighty emperor would bid a poor beggar ask whatever he might desire, and were ready to give imperial presents, and the fool would beg only for a dish of gruel, he would be rightly considered a rogue and a scoundrel who treated the command of his imperial majesty as a jest and sport, and was not worthy of coming into his presence. So also, it is a great reproach and dishonor to God if we, to whom he offers and pledges so many unspeakable treasures, despise the same, or have not the confidence to receive them, but scarcely venture to pray for a piece of bread. All this is the fault of the shameful unbelief which does not look to God for as much good as will satisfy the stomach, much less expects without doubt such eternal treasures of God. Therefore, we must strengthen ourselves against it and let this be our first prayer. Then, indeed, we shall have all else in abundance as Christ teaches. Matthew 6.33 Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. For how could he allow us to suffer want and to be straitened in temporal things when he promises that which is eternal and imperishable? The third petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thus far, we have prayed that God's name be honored by us 
and that his kingdom prevail among us, in which two points is comprehended all that pertains to the honor of God and to our salvation, that we receive as our own God and all his riches. But now a need just as great arises, namely, that we firmly keep them and do not suffer ourselves to be torn therefrom. For as in a good government it is not only necessary that there be those who build and govern well, but also those who make defense, afford protection, and maintain it firmly. So here likewise, although we have prayed for the greatest need for the gospel, faith, and the Holy Ghost, that he may govern us and redeem us from the power of the devil, we must also pray that his will be done. For there will be happenings quite strange if we are to abide therein, as we shall have to suffer many thrusts and blows on that account from everything that ventures to oppose and prevent the fulfillment of the two petitions that proceed. For no one believes how the devil opposes and resists them, and cannot suffer that anyone teach or believe aright. And it hurts him beyond measure to suffer his lies and abominations that have been honored under the most specious pretext of the divine name, to be exposed and to be disgraced himself, and besides, be driven out of the heart and suffer such a breach to be made in his kingdom. Therefore he chafes and rages as a fierce enemy with all his power and might and marshals all his subjects and, in addition, enlists the world and our own flesh as his allies. For our, our flesh is in itself indolent and inclined to evil, even though we have accepted and believed the word of God. The world, however, is perverse and wicked. This he incites against us, fans and stirs the fire, that he may hinder and drive us back, cause us to fall, and again bring us under his power. Such is all his will, mind, and thought, for which he strives day and night, and never rests a moment, employing all arts, wiles, ways, and means whichever he can invent. If we would be Christians, therefore, we must surely expect and reckon upon having the devil with all his angels and the world as our enemies, who will bring every possible misfortune and grief upon us. For where the word of God is preached, accepted, or believed, and produces fruit, there the holy cross cannot be wanting. And let no one think that he shall have peace. But he must risk whatever he has upon earth, possessions, honor, house and estate, wife and children, body and life. Now, this hurts our flesh and the old Adam, for the test is to be steadfast and to suffer with patience in whatever way we are assailed and to let go whatever is taken from us. Hence, there is just as great need, as in all the others, that we pray without ceasing, Dear Father, thy will be done, not the will of the devil and of our enemies, nor of anything that would, perse would persecute and suppress thy holy word or hinder thy kingdom, and grant that we may bear with patience and overcome whatever is to be endured on that account, lest our poor flesh yield or fall away from weakness or sluggishness. Behold, thus we have in these three petitions, in the simplest manner, the need which relates to God himself, yet for all our sakes. For whatever we pray concerns only us, 
namely, as we have said, that what must be done anyway without us may also be done in us. For as his name must be hallowed and his kingdom come without our prayer, so also his will must be done and succeed. Although the devil with all his adherents raise a great tumult, are angry and rage against it, and undertake to exterminate the gospel utterly. But for our own sakes we must pray that even against their fury his will must be done, without hindrance also among us, that they may not be able to accomplish anything, and we remain firm against all violence and persecution and submit to such will of God. Such prayer, then, is to be our protection and defense now, is to repel and put down all that the devil, pope, bishops, tyrants, and heretics can do against our gospel. Let them all rage and attempt their utmost, and deliberate and resolve how they may suppress and exterminate us, that their will and counsel may prevail. Over and against this, one or two Christians with this petition alone shall be our wall against which they shall run and dash themselves to pieces. This consolation and confidence we have that the will and purpose of the devil and of all our enemies shall and must fail and come to naught, however proud, secure, and powerful they know themselves to be. For if their will were not broken and hindered, the kingdom of God could not abide on earth nor his name be hallowed. The Fourth Petition Give us this day our daily bread. Here now we consider the poor breadbasket, the necessaries of our body and of the temporal life. It is a brief and simple word, but it has a very wide scope. For when you mention and pray for daily bread, you pray for everything that is necessary in order to have and daily enjoy bread, and on the other hand, against everything which interferes with it. Therefore, you must open wide and extend your thoughts not only to the oven or the flour bin, but to the distant field and the entire land which bears and brings to us daily bread and every sort of sustenance. For if God did not cause it to grow and bless and preserve it in the field, we could never take bread from the oven or have any to set upon the table. To comprise it briefly, this petition includes everything that belongs to our entire life in the world, because on that account alone do we need daily bread. Now for our life it is not only necessary that our body have food and covering and other necessaries, but also that we spend our days in peace and quiet among the people with whom we live and have intercourse in daily business and conversation and all sorts of doings. In short, whatever pertains both to the domestic and to the neighborly or civil relation and government. For where these two things are hindered, that they do not prosper as they ought, the necessaries of life are also are impeded, so that ultimately life cannot be maintained. And there is indeed the greatest need to pray for temporal authority and government, as that by which most of all God preserves to us our daily bread and all the comforts of this life. For though we have received of God all good things in abundance, we are not able to retain any of them or use them in security and happiness if he did not give us a permanent and peaceful government. For where there are dissension, strife, and war, 
there the daily bread is already taken away, or at least checked. Therefore, it would be very proper to place in the coat of arms of every pious prince a loaf of bread instead of a lion, or a wreath of rue, or to stamp it upon the coin, to remind both them and their subjects that by their office we have protection and peace, and that without them we could not eat and retain our daily bread. Therefore they are also worthy of all honor, that we give to them for their office what we ought and can, as to those through whom we enjoy in peace and quietness what we have, because otherwise we would not keep a farthing, and that, in addition, we also pray for them, that through them God may bestow on us the more blessing and good. Let this be a very brief explanation and sketch, showing how far this petition extends through all conditions on earth. Of this, anyone might indeed make a long prayer and with many words enumerate all the things that are, in, that are included therein. As that we pray God to give us food and drink, clothing, house and home, and health of body, also that he cause the grain and fruits of the field to grow and mature well, furthermore that he help us at home towards good housekeeping, that he give and preserve to us a godly wife, children, and servants, that he cause our work, trade, or whatever we are engaged in to prosper and succeed, favor us with faithful neighbors and good friends, etc. Likewise, that he give to emperors, kings, and all estates, and especially to the rulers of our country and to all counselors, magistrates, and officers, wisdom, strength, and success, that they may govern well and vanquish the Turks and all enemies, to subjects and the common people, obedient or obedience, peace, and harmony in their life with one another. And on the other hand, that he would preserve us from all sorts of calamity to body and livelihood, as lightning, hail, fire, flood, poison, pestilence, cattle plague, war and bloodshed, famine, destructive beasts, wicked men, etc. All this it is well to impress upon the simple, namely, that these things come from God and must be prayed for by us. But this petition is especially directed also against our chief enemy, the devil. For all this thought and desire is to deprive us of all that we have from God or to hinder it. And he is not satisfied to obstruct and destroy spiritual government in leading souls astray by his lies and bringing them under his power, but he also prevents and hinders the stability of all government and honorable, peaceable relations on earth. There, he causes so much contention, murder, sedition, and war, also lightning and hail, to destroy grain and cattle, to poison the air, etc. In short, he is sorry that anyone has a morsel of bread from God and eats it in peace. And if it were in his power, and our prayer, next to God, did not prevent him, we would not keep a straw in the field, a farthing in the house, yea, not even our life for an hour, especially those who have the word of God and would like to be Christians. Behold, thus God wishes to indicate to us how he cares for us in all our need and faithfully provides also for our temporal support. And although he abundantly grants and preserves these things even to the wicked and knaves, yet he wishes that we pray for them in order that we may recognize that we receive them from his hand, 
and may feel his paternal goodness toward us therein. For when he withdraws his hand, nothing can prosper nor be maintained in the end, as indeed we daily see and experience. How much trouble there is now in the world only on account of bad coin, yea, on account of daily oppression and raising of prices in common trade, bargaining and labor on the part of those who wantonly oppress the poor and deprive them of their daily bread. This we must suffer indeed. But let them take care that they do not lose the common intercession and beware, lest this petition in the Lord's prayer be against them.